Let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans 12. I know we've looked at these verses many times lately. We're going to look at it in a different light. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So here's some questions. Does God have a specific will for you? Yes or no? Yes. There's a book, and no, I still have not read it. Here's the title of the book, Decision-Making and the Will of God, A Biblical Alternative to the Traditional View. Makes you want to go get it, right? A Biblical Alternative to the Traditional View. Written by Gary Friesen. Anybody ever read it? Well, here's what I've been told the premise of the book is, and I looked at some reviews, and it appears as though this is the premise of his book, that God does not have a specific will for your life, just a general will for all Christians. Years ago, now understand, growing up, I was in many churches because Dad was in the Navy, so we moved all the time. So we were in a church that kind of held to that belief that God doesn't have a specific will for you, just a, just a general will for all Christians. So I started with this question, does God have a specific will for your life? Many of you said yes. So before we get into the study, how do you know that? How do you know? Where? Okay, so that's a generic will for all Christians to do. Okay, so, but it was generic for you to go do, tell everybody. I'm, I'm being, I'm not trying to, just saying that that really is a generic, right? All of us are given a responsibility to preach the gospel. So how do you know specifically for you? How do you know you, Ronnie, have a specific thing that God wants you to do that is different than what he wants Ed to do? Okay, good. Anybody else want to add to it? See, so I guess the next question then really should be, can I then, if God does have a specific will for my life, can I know what that will is? Well, I hope your answer to that would be yes. Otherwise, that would mean God has a will for you, but he's not willing to reveal it to you, right? Does God want you to know what his specific will is for your life? I think everybody went to sleep with Charlie. Does God want you to know what your, the specific will is for your life? Yes. yes, he does. Okay, then how can I know what that will is? Well, that's what we're going to hopefully cover in this series of lessons. Because, yes, God does have a general will for all mankind. He has a general will for all Christians. But I believe he has a specific will for each of our lives that he directs as individuals that we are to accomplish and it's something God wants me as an individual to accomplish that nobody else can accomplish, right? Or it's not his desire for one another one to accomplish. 
This is really important because God did not make us all cookie cutters, out of cookie cutters. You know, you go into a subdivision, and sometimes every house in the subdivision looks exactly alike, because, and they, we, I always called them cookie cutter houses, right? Because everybody's house looks exactly alike. That is not how God created us. Nor would it make sense that God wants everybody, every Christian, to do the exact same thing. Now, I've been in churches where, and there should be an emphasis on if God has called you to preach or God has called you to a full-time ministry, you need to surrender to that. And I believe we do emphasize that. But I have heard it emphasized in some churches to the point of if you do anything else but, they almost insinuate you're out of the will of God. You know what I'm talking about? Is that true? No. Okay, we'll pick on Al back there since he's sitting in the back. Al's an electrician by trade. Now, you have done preaching. You actually did pastoring, right? Okay, you have done preaching, but not pastoring. Was the will of God for your life to be a pastor? No. Okay, does that make you out of the will of God being an electrician? No. Do you get opportunities as an electrician to witness to people that I would never get to witness to? Yes. Can you run wires to the glory of God? Absolutely. Yes. Right. But is that the specific will of God for you then, where you are, to do what you do? You see what I'm saying? Okay, I can tell you what God's will is for your life. Right now, I can tell you it is to be in the United States Marine Corps. And until that contract is up, I know that's the will of God for you. You know how I know that? Well, God would not want you to break a vow or a contract that you did. So we all can say we know where Ronnie belongs, right? And the beauty of for Ronnie is he doesn't have to even think about when should I move? Where do I go next? What is the next task to do? Because Uncle Sam tells him. But is not... At this point, since he signed that contract, God using the United States Marine Corps to direct his path, right? Now, for the rest of us, it gets a little more complicated, doesn't it? Because we don't have somebody telling us what to do. So, let me ask this. <clears throat> you will pay for that later, Charlie. <laughs> How many times have you heard a Christian say, God told me to? Okay, what do people mean by that? Yes, sir. Okay, so does God speak audibly to us today? We're going with some no's over here. I got some no's in the front row. I got a hand raised because he doesn't know what. Go ahead. I think he speaks through his word. That's different than speaking audibly to you today. Okay, because revelation is complete, right? So. And I know we've all said it, well, God told me. Well, no, God hasn't spoken to me directly, audibly, as he did to Moses, as he did to Abraham, right? We don't have that today. Does everybody agree with that? If you disagree with that, raise your hand. 
We're going to embarrass you. No, we're not. But can I know, Ronnie brought up a good point. I hope every pastor knows he's called to the ministry. How can he know that without the direct voice of God telling him that? Okay, I think Al's heard this before. Now, we'll talk, let's talk about the burden. Does a burden equate to a calling? The answer is no. How many times have missionaries come through here and you get a burden for what they're doing? Right? You know, if we just followed a burden, every one of us would be moving every time a missionary comes through here. Right? Because when a missionary comes, are they not supposed to share their, their calling, their burden with us, and we're supposed to share in that burden with them in order to be able to support them and pray for them, right? But just because I have a burden for that location or whatever, those people reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't mean I was called to go there. How do I know then the difference? It goes to what Al said God gives us several indicators or pointers to his will, and all of them, when they line up, we can know with a good assurance that is the direction we need to go. So we will look at more specifically the specific will of God, which Paul says here again at the end of verse 2, and this is why I started here, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want you to think about that. The will of God for your life is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect or complete. Too often, though, we allow ourselves to get in the way in that we have a desire to do something. I want to da-da-da, fill in the blank. Well, if that's not God's will for your life, you would be miserable doing it. We had a young man here years ago who came to me and said, Pastor, I believe I'm called to ministry. I said, that's wonderful. I started looking for a way. He was active duty Marine. I started looking for a way to see if we could do some online courses with him. Couldn't find really anything. And I talked to Pastor Tim Daniel, New Testament Baptist Church in Kinston, And he says, Jim, whose responsibility is it to train him? I said, yeah, I know. So help me find a college. He goes, Jim, whose responsibility is it to train him? I said, I know what you're talking about, Brother Tim. I said, I don't have the time to do that. He says, yeah, you need to make the time to do that. I said, I wouldn't even know where to begin. He goes, we have a Bible Institute here, and I will show you what we do. And so we started a Bible Institute And this young man, his wife started taking classes with him. And after the first couple assignments, I noticed all his homework looked like exactly like hers. They always were getting the exact same grade and had the exact same questions right and the exact same ones wrong. So I pulled him aside and I said, look, 
I understand if you're called to ministry, she's going to be your helpmeet. I said, but she is not the one called to ministry. You are. You need to be preparing for it. She can help you, but she's not to do everything for you. Well, what makes you say that? And I showed him all the things. I said, is this just coincidence that day after day, week after week, your homework is exactly the same? Well, no. She helps me. I said, define help. He finally admitted basically she was doing everything for him. I said, I want to see your own work. Then I asked him, I said, how about for experience, you start teaching our Sunday school class. And we had some young people coming at the time, so he started teaching the Sunday school class. Then he comes to me one Sunday, and he shows up 10 minutes before service starts, and he walks right up to me and goes, I'm not teaching Sunday school today. I said, may I see you in my office, please? Took him in the office, and he goes, Don't you dare say anything about it. I said, I am going to say something. I said, you volunteered to teach this class. I have 10 minutes until young people are going to walk through that door expecting to hear a lesson. And what am I supposed to do because you're not ready? He goes, I don't know. I said, let me tell you something. You say God's called you to ministry. You have a responsibility to be prepared. Well, I'm not sure God called me to ministry. I said, what makes you question that? He said, I didn't realize it was such hard work. I said, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad we found out now and not later. What do you mean by that? I said, ministry is hard work. And if you're not willing to work at it, you're not willing to serve. Now, was I trying to be mean to him? No, but I am glad we found out before he started messing up people's lives, right? Because that's not ministry. That was a long rabbit trail to say this. I don't know where that family is today. I know they eventually did move away. I know there were some problems and everything else. But I really think the problem was, this is my honest evaluation, the young man was running from what God called him to do and was just wanting to be lazy. Now, that's between he and God. But the point being is, if it was God's will for him to be in the ministry then it would be God's will for him to prepare for ministry, would it not? Is there not hard work that goes into learning? Absolutely. So we need to be careful throwing around the will of God. I think sometimes we use that phrase very flippantly, just as people use the phrase, I have peace about it very flippantly. We need to truly understand what the will of God is and then accomplish it. Now, can the will of God change? Well, Ed was an assistant pastor. How many knew that before? Ed is no longer an assistant pastor. Does that mean Ed is out of the will of God right now? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, for, to best of my knowledge, Ed believes that he is perfectly in the center of God's will right now, and I believe so as well. You see, we get this concept of, oh, you can never change anything in your life because that's what God called you to do. Now, while Ed was an assistant pastor, was that God's will for his life at that time? Yes, it was. Before that, God's will for Ed, and I don't know, there are probably gaps here, okay? He says, I know, was for Ed to be in the Air Force. And then again, he had the United States Air Force to tell him what God's will was for him, right? Because they told you when to move, what to do, how to do it, and everything else. 
You see, I can't know God's will for you. Yet so often people try to play the Holy Spirit and say, well, here's what I think you need to be doing. Now, there is godly counsel, and we're going to talk about that later. But I can never tell anybody, this is what you must do, because I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. So let's look, in the little bit of time we have left, at some of the general will of God. God has a general will for all mankind. I hope everybody gets this one. What is God's will for all mankind? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is right. 2 Peter 3.9 His will is for all to be saved. Therefore, Christians, since he has chosen you and I to be his ambassadors, it goes with what Ronnie said, then he, his will for all of us as Christians is to be sharing the gospel because all deserve to hear. You know, it's not God's will that anybody go to hell. Hell was never designed for human inhabitants. Hell was designed for Satan and his host of demons. Period. Every human being who goes to hell is an intruder. It was never designed for them. God provided a way of salvation for man, and God's will is that all would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Mark 3, we read these words in verses 32 through 35. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my brother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Whosoever shall do the will of God. Well, God's will starts with all receiving Christ, does it not? I am thankful that the offer is for whosoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm glad whosoever really means whosoever, and all really means all, unlike Mr. Calvinist tries to teach us that God has a limited atonement and he only desires to save those whom he has pre-elected to salvation. He has determined, predetermined certain people will go to heaven and the rest are damned to hell. That is not the God of the Bible. By the Calvinist definition, it means God has a will for people to go to hell. We just established God does not. So then, what is the general will for all Christians. Well, Ronnie already mentioned one, but here's some others. Obedience and doing our best at work in all places, truthfully, but this text says at work, specifically Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with thy service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. 
In other words, we should be obeying, not only at work, but obeying the commands of Scripture, obeying the Word of God, obeying government authority, obeying any authority God has given us, and doing what we do as unto the Lord. So this answers the question then, how can Al, as an electrician, bring glory to God running wires because he can do it for God's glory? Now, if he's doing it for God's glory, are the customers not going to be happy? I would hope so, right? But more importantly than the customer saying thank you, one day when he stands before Jesus Christ, he'll say to him, well done. You don't know how many times, and I'm sure you've all seen it, look busy, here comes the boss. You know, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing all the time, it doesn't matter if the boss is there or not. Because we're supposed to do our best as unto Christ and not unto men. Another time I found in Scripture, talks about the general will of God for all Christians is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's pretty plain. That you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So we are to be made into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we've already talked a lot recently about sanctification, so I'm going to be moving on. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, giving thanks. One thing I have learned about social media is it's in everything complain, gripe, grumble. And you know what? I've been guilty of, of it myself as much as anybody else. But when it's raining, we complain that it's not sunny. When it's sunny, we complain it's too hot. When it's cold, we complain it's, it's too cold. When it's, we complain, we complain, we complain about everything. Why don't we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, it may be 100 degrees out, but I'm alive to be here, experience it. I have health to be up and about to go out, and I got hats to cover my head so they don't burn. Let's be a thankful people. Again, folks, let me remind you, in Romans chapter 1, the whole progression of wickedness, it says, when they knew God, they worshipped Him not as God, neither were thankful. Christian, it is God's will, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that we be a thankful people. So, what are some ways in which we can give thanks to God? Okay, when we come to church, we can sing His praises. That's a way to thank Him. We can say, as we pray, we can thank Him for the many things He does as we go throughout our day. You know, from the time you get up, Lord, thank you for another beautiful day. As we can brush our teeth, Lord, thank you that I have all my teeth, if you do. Lord, thank you for this breakfast I'm about ready to eat. You know, it's more than just praying over three meals a day. It's thanking him for everything. Thank you for this car that I drive. Thank you that I have a job that I'm being able to pay for the 428 a gallon for the gasoline. Thank you there is such a thing as gasoline, even though it is 428 a gallon. Lord, thank you for our government. Even though it's being run by corrupt people, I pray for their souls. I thank you for, we could go on and on and on, but are we thankful people? Another way in which we give thanks 
is to express our thanks to others. Do we thank each other? You know, week after week after week, and they don't do it for praise of men, but week after week after week, either Andrea or Susan or Shannon will sit at that piano and play so we can have, have a piano during our congregational singing. If you don't think that's important, I'll get Ed to come up here and lead us a cappella right now. Week after week, Ed gets up here and leads the music. We should thank God for, and by the way, if anybody wants to help with the nursery, we could use some more help there. You say, we don't have any kids coming. I get it, but you know, it's getting that time where I want to switch around a few things. But Shannon and all the crew that works in the nursery, aren't you glad that they take the kids there or at least offer to have the kids there so that they're not in here? Now, look, I will try my best, unless it becomes distracting, to let mama make that choice. But I'll tell you what, I wish every mama would take advantage of the nursery because we're a small building, small congregation, and it can become distracting. There have been times we had one mama years ago where the child was pushing toys up and down the aisles. And I had to say something. Mama got mad at me for saying something. I'm like, ma'am, I am sorry that that offended you I said, but my responsibility is to this entire congregation and nobody could pay attention with your son pushing toys up and down the aisle. Well, he just, does, he just wants to. He did, you should let him, blah, blah, blah. I said, ma'am, I can't let him. But we should be thankful. We should be thankful there's people like that in this world too. Thank each other for those that sit up at the sound booth and make sure you can hear the service and make sure that the slides are working and Make sure that everything's recorded so we can put it on the internet. Another one, 1 Peter 2, 15 and 16. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Our doing well can silence the ignorance. Now, it's not that we're out trying to pick a fight. What I believe this applies to well, let's just turn there to 1 Peter so we can look at the whole context. It says in verse 13, or let's start at verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which ye shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king is supreme and the governors is them to send uh, by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, our testimony as Christians can have an influence on government officials for good and not for evil. Now, I do believe, yes, we need more Christians running for office in our nation, but just living a good testimony in front of them can be an influence and put the silence, the ignorance of foolish men. There's many foolish things government does. I think I told you the other week, we had to do like six motions, 12 motions for six votes to get through part of the budget because of a law that the General Assembly passed. It looked like a circus. It was foolishness, is my point. But we're not to use our liberty in Christ for maliciousness, 
but to serve God. Look again at verse 16. As free, not using our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Your liberty in Christ does not mean you go around being malicious, with malicious intents, trying to hurt others or trying to do harm to others or trying to be dishonest with others. All those go against what Christianity is about. So then, and we'll look more in the specific will of God and our time's going fast. I want to look at a few times again when the will of God is mentioned and refer to specific individuals. So the specific will of God, the first I want us to see is Christ himself. Galatians 1, 3, and 4, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the word of, will of God and our Father. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins according to the will of God. Now, that was a specific will for Christ that only Christ could do. Because he is the Son of God. He is the only one that could fulfill that will of God to pay for the redemption of all mankind. Nobody in this room could do it. The angels couldn't do it. Christ himself had to fulfill that will. So, to say God doesn't have a specific will would be absurd. I think. The Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 27 and 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit make, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the, mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, according to the will of God, when you and I are praying and sometimes don't even know what to pray or how to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. Now, is Jesus Christ a person of the Godhead? Is the Holy Spirit a person of the Godhead? But does God have a specific will for each of those persons of the Godhead? Yes then may I ask, how much more than would you think, why would you think God wouldn't have a specific will for you, part of his creation? If he has a specific will for himself in the Godhead, why would he not have a specific will for you, part of his creation? Do you follow the question? All right, we'll go through a couple more real quickly. Paul was an apostle by the will of God. Let me just take a couple of these. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1. Charlie, thank you. 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1. Uh, Ronnie, thank you. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1. Ed, we'll give you that one. And there's others, but we'll just use these three as a sampling. So 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, as soon as you find it, please. Yes. And then as soon as you're done, if you could pass this on to Ronnie, and Ronnie will pass it on to Ed. Paul called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Suthanus, our brother. Okay, Paul called to be an apostle. It doesn't say apostle there? Okay. By the will of God. Ronnie? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Okay. Ed is going to read Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay. Paul was an apostle. What's the next three words? By four, four words. Five words. By the will of God. So, was it God's will for Paul to be an apostle? Is it God's will for me to be an apostle? No, because I don't meet the qualifications. So, does that then not show us God had a specific will for Paul that only Paul could fulfill? He was the apostle to, to whom? To the Gentiles. Very specific, is it not? All right, here's another verse. Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid in his fathers and saw corruption. David, after he'd served his own generation by the will of God. So, was it the will of God that David served as king during the exact time that God placed him on earth? Yes, it was. That's pretty specific, is it not? Then we see a couple more examples. Some individuals suffer according to the will of God. 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So do those two verses not tell us that it is God's specific will for some to have to endure suffering? Now, why do I bring that up? Well, again, because too often we figure, well, somebody is suffering as even did not when they, when they came to Jesus. Is this man blind because of his sin or because of his parents? Remember? But the illness he had, is it because of his sin or is it because of his parents or is it somebody else? We still do that today. Oh, oh. Now we claim we don't, but somehow I think we still kind of get it in our mind. Well, God's chastening them. Is that always so? I know a faithful man who was army. God's forgiven him of that. Um, but he used to jump out of aircraft and he had a couple of bad landings and messed up his back real bad. And there were days he could not come to church because of the pain that he was in. There were days he would come to church in this specially made wheelchair that almost laid back like a bed because of the pain that he was in. Then there were other days he could come and he could come on a walker. There were some days he could come and you wouldn't know a thing was wrong with him. But you know one thing I, I noticed about this man? It didn't matter whether he was coming in that special wheelchair, or whether he was walking normal like you and I, he still was praising God because he accepted the fact it was God's will for him to endure this suffering. And he, said, he told me many times how it strengthened his faith in God going through the suffering. 1 Peter 3.17 and 1 Peter 4.19. I bring these up because in the broader study of the will of God, 
There are several times that exact phrase is used, and I tried pointing out several of the examples in the New Testament of what God says, this is the will of God. Okay, if God says it's his will, then we know that's his will. Does it make sense to us that God would choose that some should endure suffering? Well, no, not always, but, you know, even Paul himself endured some kind of infirmity in the flesh, and he even was given the privilege of understanding why he had to endure that. Because of all the revelations given to Paul, it was to keep him humble. So, we do know God has a general will for each of us. Now, I trust everybody in this room has accepted Christ as Savior. But then as Christians, God has a general will for all of us. And some that I did not include on the list, but we know are, it is God's will as part of my sanctification that I am praying, that I am studying my Bible, that I am faithful to my local church, that I am faithful in a witness, and that I am walking in integrity, and then that I'm obedient to authority over me, that I am, these other points that we examine tonight here, of God's will for us as Christians to be giving thanks, to be growing in Christ. I know those are the general things God wants me to do, right? Many times I hear people come to me and say, Pastor, I really don't know what God has for me to do. I'm asking him, and it's something specific and I ask them, are you doing the things you know you're all ready to do? And they'll be like, what are you talking about? Are you faithful to church? Are you faithful giving? Are you faithful in your Bible? Are you faithful praying? Are you a faithful witness? Well, no. Then my answer to them is, then why should God reveal any further to you when you're not willing to do what he already told you to do? Is that fair? Is God obligated to give you any further instruction when you're already not obeying the instructions you've already been given, right? I have learned in my personal life, and as I've observed others doing so, we know the general will of God for us as Christians. If we're not willing to follow that, then yes, many times the specific will of God for my life becomes very hard to understand. God doesn't want it to be difficult, but he also wants your obedience. And I can promise you this. Do what you know to do today and God will guide you tomorrow. But if you're not doing what you know you should be doing today, God's still trying to get that lesson through to you. Right? It's the same illustration of thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. As I take that step, the light will go further. As I take that next step, the light will go further. But if I'm willing, if I'm not going to take the step of, of what God has already veal, revealed to me, then why should he reveal any more light to me? Now we're going to talk about how to discern the specific will of God for our lives. But I want to remind you, start with what you know to do today and God will direct your path tomorrow. And you've all heard me use this illustration, but there's nothing new under the sun, including my illustrations. 
If you've ever driven an old car, my dad had a Chevette, a 76, I think it was, Chevette. It was a great car. Except we're in Pennsylvania and the floor rusted out. After a while, you could actually watch the road as almost a Flintstone car. But anyhow, it didn't have power windows, didn't have power steering, didn't have air conditioning, didn't have nothing power. It had an engine and a four-speed transmission and four seats and a hatchback. I learned to drive in that Chevette. So yes, I can drive a clutch. But I will tell you one thing. I get in the car and I'm like, but dad, the wheels aren't straight. He goes, get it rolling and the wheels will go turn straight. I'm like, dad, the wheels aren't straight. So I'm yanking on that steering wheel, trying to get it to go straight. And he's like, son, just get it rolling and it'll straighten out. You know what I found? Dad's pretty smart. Get the car rolling and it was pretty easy to steer. Try steering it st sitting still and it was near impossible to steer. Yet, I feel way too often in our Christian life, we know the general will of God for us, but we're too busy sitting still, waiting on God for Him to move us. No, that's not how it works. We move with what we know to do, and then He can steer us in the direction we need to go. But how dare we think God should be steering us when we're sitting there parked? So let's take time this week and ensure we're doing those things we know to be doing and then, Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we will discuss how to discern and know the specific will of God for our lives.